Welcome to Fireside with Boxcake, podcast for professional public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of Boxgate.com, which is an online community and service for speakers and event professionals. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your on-stage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. My guest today is Danielle Brown, who holds an MBE for Outstanding Service to the United Kingdom. Danielle is a professional public speaker, a double Paralympic gold medalist in archery, and a five-time world champion. On the back of this success, she then did the impossible and transitioned onto the UK's able-bodied Olympic archery team. In this episode, Danielle compares her professional archery career to her speaking career and explains how small, continuous improvement can go a long way to building professional skills. What works for archery also works for public speaking, and you'll learn how important it is to target your audience properly. Danielle, it's fantastic to have you here on the Fireside Boxgate podcast. Thank you so much for uh, talking to us today. Oh, no, thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. So um, you have a, a kind of amazing life story, um, but we're going to focus on the public speaking side of things because that's what, that's what we're all about here. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite questions, which is designed to put you on the spot. <laughs> so what, what's your worst disaster as a public speaker? Uh, tell, tell us about a time you went on stage because you were a professional. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell us about a time you went on stage and it just all fell apart. Oh, I have to say it's never completely, completely fallen apart. I think one of the worst things was um, I, I was doing a speech and I just forgot a little quote. Um, my sister had come to this event with me. We were speaking to athletes and it was a bit of a running joke in my family. My, my sister did a, a running race and my dad bought her a jumper and on the back it said it's not how you start it's how you finish and my other sister and I we used to mercilessly tease um, Helen about this because she came second to last but that that quote on the on the back of a jumper really stuck with me it's not how you start it's how you finish and it's something that you know I really really used a lot in my in my sporting career that that little bit of advice yeah 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 it was really good and I just forgot that line you know it was something that I used all the time and when I was out there talking to all these athletes I was, I was trying to pass them on that message and it just completely deserted me and I just looked at my sister blankly and she's just like yeah it's not how you start it's how you finish <laughs> so I was really glad she was there but I think yeah she she was a bit surprised because honestly we teased her so much about this that's happened to me as well on stage this brain freeze or when your mind goes blank did it happen on any other occasions and how do you deal with it no that was the first time it happened and I think that time was quite difficult because I built it up to this um this sort of quote and tried to you know give them the backstory oh, I, know. <laughs> I know so yeah that that really really wasn't good <laughs> 
But, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, generally speaking, I think if I forget something, it's fine. You know, I've made minor blips before and, and got little facts wrong. And I think, well, do you know what? It's my story. Other people aren't going to know. So I just kind of go with it normally. And I think it's one of those things where you really notice it if you make a mistake, but the people watching don't. That is a very key point. Um, you feel it yourself because you know exactly what your vision for the talk was. Yeah. But they don't really, and ha- half of them are on their phones well, anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I think, yeah, as long as you don't get put off by it, it's, it's absolutely fine. Yeah, that's really the key. Just keep on, keep on going. Keep calm and carry on. Absolutely. Let's go to a slightly happier memory. Do you remember the first, the, the first time that you gave a talk and you, were, you walked away, you're like, yeah, I really nailed that one. Oh, yes. Um, So I started speaking around 2008. And actually, I started in school. So, you know, it's quite um, a nice, easy introduction into speaking and really testing the waters. But my my first corporate, I went there and I practiced and practiced and practiced. And I was just so happy with the delivery, completely nailed it, got my points across, got some amazing feedback at the end. Uh, which it, yeah, it's just the best feeling. It's addictive, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And my, my background's elite sport. And I think what I absolutely love about the speaking is it's just like being in the arena and competing, you know, that adrenaline rush. Yeah, and you've yeah. got to be perfect. You've got to get it right. Uh, and it's just about sort of, I suppose, bringing all those things together and delivering. I think this, there must be, um, I speculate now scientifically, uh, th- there must be some sort of connection between the adrenaline that you get from before you compete and, and that you get from the, the fear of public speaking. This is something that comes up. A lot of the, the people that I talked to on this podcast kind of say is that the fear, the public speaking fear can be turned to your advantage because it, it sharpens the mind. Yeah, yeah. And I think I was very fortunate in that I do have that background in performance sport so for me sport it was about dealing with pressure so so my sport's archery yes and I'm aiming at a target 70 meters away so one tiny little mistake at this end has a huge repercussion down at the target so it was about being able to deal with that adrenaline and that pressure and I think what I've basically done is just cut and pasted that mentality straight into public speaking and it's worked really really well knowing your subject of course really really helps and uh, and understanding the physiological things that are happen- happening to you helps mm. as well. But managing your mental states, I think, is a, is a big part of, of being able to give a good talk. But I'm going to focus on archery for a minute, if you don't mind. It strikes me that it's slightly different from sports like football, where you, you know the, the game is kind of flowing and you can make mistakes. But if you're marking someone and you run slightly the wrong way, you can pretty much correct it. Obviously, if, if, you, if you kick the ball into your own goal, that's, that's a different story. But archery strikes me as one of those sports where it's incredibly focused, incredibly tense nanosecond. It comes down to everything in that one second. Yes, yeah, and I'm very isolated as well. That's a terrible sport. <laughs> now, oh, I loved it. You know, like, um, yeah. I suppose I, I love that individual side of things. You know, it's just you and the bow and trying to get everything right and trying to figure out the weather conditions and whether that's going to affect the arrow and re- read that. So it was really, really tough. And it was also effectively a lot of the time who could deal with the nerves better and who was the mentally toughest out there. Okay. So yeah, it was, it was a bit isolating in that sense. So she didn't really have a team to fall back on. If, if you made a mistake, your teammate couldn't just uh, 
lift you back up or, or you couldn't just sort of reel it in and, and um, recover. You're just competing against yourself. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I always said that my biggest competitor was myself and I, I wasn't being outrageously arrogant with that. You know, it was, um, it was a case of if I shot a good shot, it was going to go in the middle of the target. And if I did a bad one, it could go anywhere. So that's all up to me. And I guess that's the same as speaking, really. You're in control of a lot of it. Yeah. And it is up to you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, how did you deal with things like, you know, you're, you're in competition archery and the competitor ahead of you is amazing and brilliant. Perfect score. Again, the analogy to speaking is you draw the, 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 the short straw and the person speaking ahead of you turns out to be uh, an amazing speaker and the audience is rolling around in the aisles and now you have to go on and you know you're not as good. How do you how do you deal with that mentally? Oh, see now I don't like that bit. You said that you know you're not yeah. as good. Okay, let's uh, yeah, okay. yeah. I, well, I think competition <laughs> is never won on paper. Okay, and it's about what you can do on the day, and I, I think that's um, it's a really good point. Reading the audience, you know, if that speaker's gone on and they've done a fantastic job, you know what. I, I love watching, I love observing, and I love drawing patterns. And I find watching speakers fascinating. And it's really, really interesting to see what really engages the audience, what works really well, and what gets people switching off. So um, I, I find that um, if, if something's really engaging a particular audience, what could I do perhaps to utilize that to my advantage when I'm going out there and delivering my talk? So, so my talk, I know my content really well. I'm quite happy with the way I come across, but how can I tweak it slightly to get a little bit better? Okay. So even if somebody is killing it ahead of you, uh, use it as a learning opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Would you refer back to things that other speakers have said, speakers that have been on ahead of you perhaps? Would you make a point of referring back to them then because you've, you've observed things that have worked? If it's relevant, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's about the key messages that you want to get across. I guess, I guess speaking is all about how you get those messages across. And nobody obviously wants to put anybody to sleep, do they? Um, or make no. it horribly co confusing <laughs> or complicated. But I, I mean, you know, if, if somebody's raised a really great point that links in with yours really, really nicely, I, I tend to link back to that. But if it's, you know, somebody might have done a really good job, um, but it doesn't quite fit with what I'm trying to say, I might not. Okay. So how frequently do you speak? Oh, it depends. I find it's very seasonal. So um, it's okay. kind of a little bit mental at the minute and doing quite a bit in terms of diversity and inclusion. It always gears up around International Women's Day. Um, but yeah. then, you know, you expect the summer to die down and yeah, get a nice month or so holiday. Professional speaking is your main job now. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, I, I do yeah. speaking. I'm trying to cut down in terms of the school ones and I've created online programs for schools just to try and make it a little bit more sustainable and cost effective there. Yeah. And really try and focus on doing more corporate stuff. Yeah, well, I, that, that's... It, 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 it does generate a little bit more revenue, of course. I think the school stuff is, is uh, we were speaking earlier, that's, that's some of the stuff, working with kids is some of the stuff that you really enjoy. 
Uh, you mentor children as well, don't you? Uh, for speaking. Yes, yes. So I, I do a few mentoring schemes and uh, I, I met a wonderful boy two years ago almost. Uh, I was speaking actually at a Mensa event and he came up to me and he said, have you written a book for children about how they can be the best they can be? I was like, no, but that's a really good idea. You know, there's so much self-development stuff out there for adults. And um, kids have hopes and dreams too, but there's no, there's no yeah. real help or support to help them turn that into a reality. And uh, he went away, he thought about it. He came back and he said, can I write one with you? Fantastic. I, I know. I was just so amazed. He was seven, seven at the time. And the fact that he could think of a solution to his problem uh, and he sort of was really, really passionate and engaged about this. So, yeah, that's what we've done. And I'm mentoring him uh, in public speaking. He he wants to do a TED Talk. Oh, wow. That's one of, one of his bigger aspirations. So we're, we're busy sort of working on his speech and, and how he comes across and how he, he puts those messages across, which are really, really interesting. That's a role model for other kids, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Is the book uh, published? It's coming it out this year it's coming out sort of august september time uh be your best self. now feel free to mercilessly promote it what, what's, what's the yeah, be your best self be your yes, best self so. okay that's on the amazon wish list be your best self danielle brown fantastic and of course uh this wonderful boy that you've been oh, working yes. with this does touch on uh some of the stuff we were already discussing around your mental state. Let's look at it from a couple of different angles. So have you come across this idea that um, you need 10,000 hours of focused practice to be an expert at something? First of all, um, it's a little controversial. Do you, do you agree with that? Uh, I have heard of it and idea. I don't agree with it though. Okay. No, okay. I think that there are smarter uh, ways to, to learn. So I don't think you need the the 10,000. Obviously, practice is very important, but there are other tools that we can use and employ, things like visualization, which, again, very handy for sport, very handy for public speaking as well. Mm. So I do quite a bit around that. Yeah, where, where I'm going with this is, uh, I guess you demonstrably are somebody who has uh, figured out how to excel uh, at something, archery. How much of the the techniques of learning that you used, what did you learn that lets you learn better and faster that you reapplied to speaking? So this is kind of the next level up. It's not just these, these are speaking techniques. What are the techniques for learning the techniques? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah. I think that, um, in order to sort of learn the techniques, it's for me, goal setting is very, very important. So learning or figuring out what you want to deliver and once you've done that, why you want to do it is very important, where you are now. And then you can start breaking it down as to the how. So marginal gains is quite big in sport where you break down a goal into tiny, tiny uh, compartments and then start working on each one of those. And I know to say the 1% improvements, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think some areas you might need to make more than 1% improvements. Mm. But yeah, and so that's what, exactly what I do to, to everything, really. I just break everything down into the tiny little compartments and start working on those and, and find that that helps me learn those techniques much better, much quicker uh, and with fewer resources as well. 
the underlying principle that I'm that, that I'm kind of picking up from that is be conscious. You know, make explicit decisions about what what you want to do. It's it's no good just saying, "Oh, I'll go to a bunch of, I'll just do a bunch of talks. I'll get better just by doing it." Uh, which, by the way, is the way I do it. <laughs> uh, uh, what you're saying is, uh, you know, actually be a bit organized. Yeah, and I so when I, I mean, sure, my my success has been in archery, but I think it doesn't matter what field you're in. Success is success, and if you've learned a path to get there. Um, I, you know, you can apply that across the board. One of the things that I find very, very important, is, and I say is the foundation for success, is self-awareness, and it's about knowing you really, really well. You know, we we spend a lot of time trying to get to know other people when we're in friendships or relationships or business meetings, but we very rarely invest that same time on ourselves. Uh, and getting to know yourself, getting to know what those what those goals are, what what it is you want to achieve, and how you can do that. Being really conscious, as as you put it, is uh, super important to actually turning that idea into reality. Yeah, that, I mean that, that's a really good point. We live in our own uh, minds, and we we think we have access to ourselves in terms of understanding ourselves, but we don't really. I mean, we have to, <laughs> you have to put in effort to understand yourself. Oh, yeah, don't you? yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Spend a lot of time getting to know you, and for me, that was revolutionary. You know, once I started monitoring my thoughts and realized that the voice uh, in my mind, what messages I was actually giving myself, how that was affecting my emotional state. And then how that was influencing my behaviors was super, super amazing. You know, once once I, I realized that I could make changes if that those messages weren't particularly helpful. It's a really good perspective. Um, and part of my, my sort of theme in doing this podcast and talking to so many people who, who do public speaking is to really dispel this notion that it's something you're born with. Um, I, I quite passionately believe it's something that anybody can learn. And it's such an important skill. Ooh to have you know yeah I completely agree I mean um, I remember oh gosh when I was back at school and I hated standing up in front of a room you know everyone looking at me and I just sort of read things off uh, a bit of paper it was awful and you know now I do it for a living I absolutely love it Um, I've learned how to get better a lot of it through trial and error you know, sort of uh, finding what works, really reading the audience to try and pick up what engages people, what engages particular audiences. But uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I don't think you're born with it at all. And you, and you, you must still experience some nerves before you speak. I do, I do. And yeah. I think that that's a very good thing. I think if you don't get nervous and it doesn't matter to you, and if it doesn't matter to you, then you've got absolutely no business doing it. So, <laughs> yes, the outcome is count. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it, all it is is about how well you control those nerves. Yeah, which brings us back to the managing your internal mind. I mean, do you, do you meditate? Is that one? Is that something? A lot of people talk about doing that and, and that it's useful. Um, I I meditate more around um, in terms of dealing with my disability rather than in terms of my speaking okay. side of things. Uh, I've not I've not actually sort of thought about merging the two. If I'm honest. Your approach is, is almost technical, I suppose, if I can use that word. Yeah. It's, it's scientific. It's this idea of marginal gains. It's, I'm doing this one thing or this one type of intonation. When I tell a lighthearted anecdote, it, it, should it be longer? Should it be shorter? 
it's that sort of approach, which is really, really useful. Other speakers that I've spoken to on this are, are um, less specific in the way that they do it. And it's, it's about managing their overall state. Uh, I guess you could combine the two. Sure, sure. Actually, that's really, really interesting because that's um, this this book that I've written with uh, with Nathan, this this young boy. Was, that was re- really his first comment. Um, I sent over the chapters that I'd written, and he read through it, and he goes. Well, this is very good. I, I've, I've, you know, sort of learned quite a bit from it. But children yeah. really don't like being told what to do. <laughs> I'm just like, well, fair point. I don't like being told what to do either. Um, yeah. So, and I think coming from the speaking side, perhaps you know, giving that advice and how I put those messages across, I was very, very performance oriented. Uh, this is sort of what what I did for a living and how how to achieve excellence and keep um, sort of growing and developing. Uh, And for him, it was more about that guidance and and nurturing. And and we call it doing. So so me, the performance side doing, and he was sort of more of the guidance, which was being and how we could merge those two together. He sounds wonderfully (laughs) blunt. Yes, yes. (laughs) <laughs> which is a wonderful quality one, one loses later in life, unfortunately. You, you must have been coached, though, for the archery. Did you use coaching? Did you get a, a speaking coach at all when you moved into speaking? Uh, I've not had a speaking coach. No, yeah. no. Um, I think I've just, I've just really learned from observing and from doing. It's an interesting place to start because... Often, especially in the tech industry, you know, somebody who stands out a little bit and their manager might decide this person has potential. Often the way that that, that manager, this was done to me, helps that person move forward in their career is, is nominates them for public speaking to speak at a, a small event or at an internal event or even a conference. Um, and they're sort, of, they're sort of thrust into it, <laughs> willingly or unwillingly. And certainly something that I didn't do, which would have made sense, was to go to a few technical talks first, <laughs> just observe and maybe learn. But that's a really useful piece of advice. Start there. You know, if you've been told you have to speak next month, well, this week, go to a few talks, yeah. take notes. I want to just return to the issue of uh, mental state um, because I, I, I'm just, it's something, that's, it's something that I feel is, is, is so important. How do you prepare? Could you give us that, uh, just an idea of the week before a talk and then the day before and then the morning of? Do you have any particular routines or processes that sort of get you to the point where you open, you say the first word on stage? A couple of weeks before I get all my slides ready and I sort of plan out what I want to say, the messages that I want to get across. And for me, telling stories is really, really important, you know, using that inspirational piece to raise people's levels of thinking. So I sort of look at the content and and how I want to get those messages across. Then in the days uh, leading up to it, I just run through the speech in my head. You know, I I love driving, actually, practicing my my speeches when I'm driving. I think people, if they ever look in my car window, must think I'm an absolute loon. Exactly, exactly. Stuck in a traffic jam, and I'm there giving it my all, uh, practicing, practicing my speech. But for me, that really, really just helps. Um, just give me an idea of what I'm going to say, and then when I'm actually at the event, I've done all the prep work. I might run through it in my, in my head, just the, the first few uh, sentences as I'm about to go on, and then just take it from there. 
So yeah, practice your speech when you're commuting. That's, a, that's another, that's a very useful tip. So you, you give a lot of talks and I'm sure you've experienced uh, a lot of different event organizers and venues and all that sort of stuff. Do you have any pet peeves or do you have any, uh, I guess, advice or asks of the, of the organizers? You know, because we have a lot of organizers that listen to, to this podcast as well. So oh, yeah. how can you help speakers do better? So I think my, my pet peeve is organizers asking for you, asking for you to do it for free. That's my biggest no, pet peeve, yeah. if, I'm, if yeah. I'm honest. That's a nightmare. It'll help raise your profile. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, no. You know I've won gold medals, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't need it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good. But I think um, when, I'm, when I'm there with, with the organization, I think it's always, it's always good um, having a brief and having, having a really good a good brief and a really strong conversation before the event so you know exactly what it is they want you to deliver. Um, I always find that if something's going to go wrong, it's the tech side of things. So, yeah, making sure that that's sorted beforehand. And I've, I've had times where I tend to use a video of me shooting in London 2012. It came down to the last arrow uh, so whoever got that last one closest to the middle won the gold. And I quite like to show that, yeah. you know, build up that course, moment. Yeah. And um, I, I always sort of say to the organizers, please, can you check the video beforehand to make sure it works? Because sometimes you don't get that opportunity whilst you're there if they've got other slides playing. And uh, sometimes they don't. And there's nothing worse than say, right, I'm going to play you a video now. And it's not and working. Nothing, yeah. That's such a shining moment for you. You have to do it. I, um, I just stay away from videos altogether after too many disasters. One of the other uh, things about conferences that I, I look for now is um, that they're supportive of uh, diversity and inclusiveness. And they have you know, proper codes of conduct and all that sort of thing. It's important for a lot of people. Is that something you, you look for? Yeah, absolutely. So I do a lot of work around diversity and inclusion and um, even from both sides, actually, in terms of as, as I'm, I'm obviously female, I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, intersectional in that I have a disability as well. Mm. Um, so going to an event, sometimes you end up doing all women's events, which I love doing. You know, for me, my whole story is, has been about breaking through barriers and uh, there are lots and lots of barriers out there for underrepresented groups. But because those barriers exist, we can actually impose them on ourselves. We can expect barriers to exist and actually modify our behavior in light of that. So I think it's really, really important to upskill underrepresented groups and work on things like your confidence gaps and things like that. But um, I sometimes find that in terms of that diversity, the intersectionality of it is very, very important. So I don't like going to women's events that are just for women. You know, I think for diversity to work, it needs everybody to come uh, forward and everybody needs a seat at that table. I think that's a very, very good point. This whole issue is something that where people need a lot of education uh, just just to understand the challenges and, and understand how to how things need to be improved. You mentioned the the idea of intersectionality. Could you walk us through it a little bit, just what it means and how it kind of affects 
different people? Sure, sure. So diversity is quite often siloed. So, you know, you sort of split into, I guess, sort of the the, um, the female category. You've got your LGBT, your BAME, disability. And they, they operate quite often as silos. But that doesn't reflect reality. It doesn't reflect humanity. And I think that humanity is wonderful it's got an amazing spectrum of differences and the only thing that makes us the same is that we are all different so fitting people into these categories into these boxes it it doesn't work if we want to be diverse if we want to be inclusive we have to get everybody together really really understand what inclusion means what it looks like and that actually those differences well everybody has them how can we turn our individual difference into a usp so that you as a person operates better as a team you operate better and as an organization you operate better so trying to get rid of the silos bringing people together and we can learn a lot from from each other you know there are certain groups where you've got specific issues for that group but you can bring them together to sort of have cross learning so one of the ones that i find really fascinating actually is when you bring lgbt with disability uh, and actually coming out is very much like talking about a hidden disability sometimes there's sort of a lot of apprehension not knowing how people are going to take it it's very very difficult thing to do so we can learn from uh, each other uh, and i just think sort of really progress that diversity and inclusion movement forward and the the funny thing about all of this is i mean i run a startup company so half of my brain is always focused on commercial reality and and running a business and and actually making the business work and i'm always struck by how if you have an, an, uh, an orientation towards inclusiveness you end up with a stronger team uh, and it's it's not a cliche it, it, i mean i've actually experienced this myself there are scientific studies that show if you have mixed teams that they're they have better problem solving abilities mm-hmm. um, but in tech i've worked in you know very homogenous environments in my 20s that were all a load of tech bros that the you know the silicon valley sort of cliche to my current company which is deliberately uh, a diverse environment and not just in terms of um gender, but also in terms of hours that people work and flexibility and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, we don't even have an office. It's just, you know, everybody works from home. The outcome from that is uh, a more effective business. It just kind of kills me how, how you could have any resistance to this on a commercial level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, you know, I, I sort of, I, I, you know, just in terms of your balance sheet, this is a good idea. Absolutely. Uh, and I think uh, we've not been talking for very long, but I think you've uh, you already picked up on the fact that I, uh, I sort of do operate on that whole performance uh, mindset. And yeah, absolutely. Diversity is a key point performance driver yeah it's you know it's it's (laughs) you've just been completely cold-hearted about it it's something that makes that actually makes companies better what i find as well uh i mean it's not just about numbers Uh, people like to work with great if you create an environment that's fun to work in and you can't have fun if it's not a safe place you know really good people end up wanting to work in in that same environment it has uh, huge advantages all around um and just your day-to-day work life as well um it's, it's it's just literally more enjoyable and less stressful. Yeah, yeah, as, as well, you know, I think the, the underlying thing is, as you say, it's the right thing to do. But uh, yeah, it does make that whole environment so much better uh, and more con- conducive to that that performance. 
Uh, and I think sort of one, one of the things that I'm really fascinated with is, is performance can be seen as being quite cold. But actually, when you look at it, when you look at sort of happiness, and if you actually work on your happiness levels, that leads to success rather than the other way around. You know, it's not work hard, you'll be successful, then you'll be happy. Actually, that, that sort of, if you work on your long-term contentment and cultivating that positive mindset, it actually leads to success and performance. Yeah, and, and sort of a longer, more sustainable form of, of happiness. You know, it, people often think that winning the lottery is going to make them happy. But if you actually look at most people who win the lottery, the money's gone in five yeah. years. Um, and, and, and they're worse off than ever. Improving yourself, helping your team move forward, improving the world a little bit maybe. I think that's the stuff of happiness, really. I mean, I, that's, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds very much like just work harder, but it... That's not really it, is it? It's, it's, it's more about doing something meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, understanding your, your purpose. And I, I always go further than that and upstream and understanding your identity and really figuring out who you are uh, when you strip everything back uh, and what you want to do with your life is so powerful. And I think we all have limitless potential. It's just how we how we apply that, and and sometimes we can't see that. You know, a lot of people can put quite negative thoughts in there. They they don't see that limitless potential, um, which isn't isn't particularly helpful at all. I know. I don't just think about it. There's, there's what is it? Seven and a half billion people now on the planet, and Ooh. all of that amazing human potential. It's, we're only accessing maybe even one percent of one percent of it, um, just because of all the silly systems that we put up and things that are getting in the way. But I think we better draw a line under this, or we'll end up um, writing a, a book on philosophy and <laughs> the future of, of the human race. Danielle, it's been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for for speaking to us. Um, been really really good fun uh you're, you're uh, amazingly inspirational thank you so oh, much thank you hope you enjoyed it wonderful stuff okay thank you and goodbye thank you so much for listening just a few things before the embers fade and wrap up another episode of fireside with Voxgate. you can find notes and links from this podcast at boxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, one you can also learn. Visit boxgig.com slash newsletter to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward.